Hello, everybody, and welcome to Boston Included, the show looking at geek culture and the media we love and loathe from a queer perspective. I'm Hamish, the tragically ludicrous, the ludicrously tragic, Steel. And I'm Jade. Why must you turn this podcast into a house of lies, <laughs> Rose? <laughs> And uh, happy episode 50. Uh, Yay! Streamers, balloons. Popping champagne corks. (laughs) (laughs) This is a very exciting landmark for us. And thank you to all of our listeners for helping us get here. And uh, yeah. And if you've been listening since the beginning, or maybe not even since the beginning, just, you know, for long enough, you may have noticed that many a discussion comes back to one particular show. In fact, one of our catchphrases of ours has been, we are not a Simpsons podcast, but... So, for one (laughs) night only, we are, in fact, (laughs) a Simpsons podcast. Hooray! Hell yes. One of our favourite shared shows. As if our titles didn't give it away. Mm -hmm. But uh, first, we're going to catch up and geek out. And it's amusing to me to say a catch up because Hamish and I actually hung out last night. Yes. <laughs> but, and that's what we're going to geek out about, the thing we did last night. Uh, last night, we went to see Hamilton, an American musical um, in London, in its London production. Mm-hmm. We are both uh, big fans. Uh, um, you saw it before, you went to see it in... I saw it at uh, the Chicago production. Okay, at, cool. At, at the Public Bank Theatre in Chicago. Um. This time this was, was so much better. Really? Mm-hmm. I think... Oh, wow. Part of it... I, I'm not going to say it was a reflection of the quality of the production, to be fair. I think it was more like my experience as someone watching the show. But mm-hmm. I had an amazing time. I know um, uh, the delightful Mel Pisswitch Trender was with us uh, as well. And we were comparing notes this morning about how we felt hungover for, because of all the crying. Dehydration, <laughs> kids, it's a real thing. But it was truly um, amazing uh, to see it again. The British cast is spectacular. Um, I looked at our program uh, on the way home on the train. And as well as the alternate for Hamilton, we had the understu- we had understudies for George Washington and for mm-hmm. Angelica. Yeah, and uh, you would not have known. I mean, no, they were phenomenal. They were so- though George Washington did have a slight prop mishap, but he <laughs> yeah. he he worked it. He was he was great. He was fine. But uh, so yeah, it's just one of those things that makes me feel so very validated about. Um, well, yes. If Lin Manuel does come and do a stint playing Alexander Hamilton in London, as he has said he might do, I'm going to try and get to see it. But it is kind of wonderful to see a production like not want not. It was nothing to do with it. it was about the people in the roles, and so often people go, "Oh, well, we got to see the understudy, not the main cast." And I, I was just they were all so good. They were all so good. See, I'm I I love. Uh, listening to Hamilton on Spotify, um, but I've never been as uh, knowledgeable, I guess, of the original cast. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm aware of them and I've seen pictures of them, but I don't tie them with the role so much. And I really loved seeing different, quite different takes on uh, 
the characters. Yeah, um, one of, one of my I favorite f- things. Sorry uh, to cut you off. Is um, well, obviously, it's the music that I know. I, I I'd purposely not listened to the soundtrack for a long time because I didn't want the Broadway casts versions in my head more than or as little as possible and it was wonderful to see these or hear these different takes on these songs that I already knew so well and it obviously doesn't change the song but the characterization felt different the songs felt different in in the in such an interesting way I think in some ways I understood the character of Alexander Hamilton uh Better, not because I didn't understand it before, but I think having a different perspective on the type of person he is. Like, I think, I I feel like in some ways, Lin-Manuel has become such a character in his own right, and that Hamilton feels like a kind of extension of him. Mm -hmm. But it's just really interesting seeing someone who uh, looked so different and sounded so different, Mm. um, wasn't trying to do an impression in any kind of way. And so it it showed the character in a new light, which I found Mm. really interesting. Yeah. I mean, I've read a lot of um, headcanons, I think like talking about the... Alexander Hamilton, as appears obviously in the musical, as being an autistic character, which is always a head as an autistic person as a head character, head canon. I enjoyed watching. I should have grabbed my program so I could give the actor's name. It was Ash something. I'm very sorry. I, I strongly doubt he's listening right now, but I apologise <laughs> anyway. Um, watching his performance felt like watching someone with autism. Like there was a palpable awkwardness to his body language that was a really wonderful thing to behold. Um, mm. It was just, and oh, the Burr, the the actor playing Burr was just, I want to say he almost, and you'll have to say, because uh, I don't want this to come across like I'm mocking his performance in any way. He f- really felt like the Daffy Duck to Alexander Hamilton's Bugs Bunny. <laughs> like there was, an, there was a quality, like um, there was an, um, a preciseness to the way that he spoke that was so engaging. There was yeah. su- there was such a contrast between the two. They really did feel like these, you felt that wait for it, wait for it versus not throwing away my shot. Um, maybe we should briefly mention what Hamilton is. Because I know it's quite hard to believe people don't understand, but as I realised on the day I went to see it and all the people mm. I told, actually a lot of people have no clue what it is. Uh, yeah. Um, uh, uh, Hamilton, an American musical, as Hamish said, is a it's most commonly described as a hip hop musical about the uh, founding fathers or the, the founding fathers and the uh, big opening years of the United States of America. Uh, particularly, uh, obviously focused, as the title might suggest, on Alexander Hamilton, who was the first uh, Secretary of the Treasury. But in my opinion, Mm. it honestly could be about anything else. It's, to me, the appeal Mm. has always been that I really do think it will change musicals forever, and not because of hip-hop or anything like that. I think it's the the lyrics are so dense mm-hmm. and so meaningful and every single syllable is used to its best mm-hmm. ability. 
you see so many musicals and we've done two musical episodes and I will, I love the most indulgent, frivolous musical number in anything. Mm. But you do see a lot of musicals where they are just saying how they're feeling and that mm. makes me feel angry. Yeah. Um, the, the, but no, like, mm. it, or just like, you end up hearing the same types of songs in every musical. You yes. hear, oh, it's it's the time for the sad song. It's the time for this song. Um, and you, and like, Hamilton makes me feel like I will, I don't think I can watch a musical with like, really unnecessary talking scenes mm. again like just every single second of playtime mm-hmm. which is a funny way to call it mm. is um used to its fullest yeah i mean the the lyrical prowess in hamilton and american musical and its density like hamish said is such a, a staggering thing like i have a hamilton lyric tattooed on my wrist it's one of the simpler lyrics but that when you have lines like a bunch of revolutionary manumission abolitionists give me a position show me where the ammunition is and oh it's just like this is just my chance to show off how much I know the lyrics from Hamilton <laughs> but it's like I'm in the cabinet I am complicit in watching him grabbing at power and kissing it if Washington isn't going to listen to disciplined dissidents this is the difference this kid is out and I slowed that down I just that's what I'm talking about like it's those internalized rhyming like mm-hmm. things. It's sentence. It's just. It's not like there's no point in even talking about repri- like reprises mm. or reprises. I don't know what the pronoun. I think it's reprises, but eh. reprises because it's just words are used in multiple scenes that mean multiple things. Mm-hmm. And the reason why I say that it doesn't really matter what it's about because it does. It's you know it's it's. It is a good historical story, but um, I do have friends who the subject matter really puts it off for them um, for multiple reasons. Some just do not find that the idea. I think a lot of people have the image in their head of, I'm George Washington, I'm here to say, blah, 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 like that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, I have friend, like I've got a friend who um, almost every time I mention Hamilton will always try and point out that a lot of black people don't like it because... In lots of ways, it does. Um, it glosses over the issue of slavery. Glosses over a lot of these 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 people, these actual humans who are alive, mm-hmm. aren't necessarily deserving of more. Um, mm. uh, yeah. Yes. Celebration, celebration than they already get. Yes. But that's what. But that's. But like, I think that's partially because the context of Hamilton has gone from this off Broadway like essentially special interest production of one tiny aspect of history that the creator was really fascinated by and Mm. had amazing talent to turn it into something so emotional. Yeah. And now it is the biggest show in the world. And Mm -hmm. it, you know, it makes me a little sad that, um, and, you know, we were contributing to this, that the audience felt very white and quite rich Mm -hmm. and it feels like the kind of musical I want everyone to see. I want I want it to, mm. but like, I don't know. I have a lot of feelings about, we've talked about as well, but a lot of feelings about like yeah. theatre and how it should be for the people, but it's so exclusive. Mm. Um, but, and I just think that all of that, all of that, sorry, all of that takes away from the fact mm-hmm. that like this musical about the presidents of America tackles some subjects in ways I've never seen tackled better. Mm. I was talking to Mel about how, 
um, a few days ago about like kids and uh, personally, I don't have any desire to ever have kids. Um, and nothing has ever made me understood the idea of having children until this hip hop musical about presidents mm. and the, the feeling of like, I'm trying to avoid spoilers and stuff, but like, um, it's history, Hamish. Yeah, I know. But the, 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 the way it tackles okay. the death of a loved one, the way it tackles, mm. um, being cheated on, mm-hmm. All these subjects are just tackled so well. And they choose all of the right words. Like one of my favorite words um, is, it's you know, in tackling the death of a family member, the one word it chooses that sticks out to me is unimaginable. Mm-hmm. And like, it just is so human. And I really, really can't believe it is what it is. I don't know. Yeah, no, I, I, I agreed. Like, we've talked, I think, a little bit about Hamilton before in our theatre episode because I have it bad for that musical. <laughs> but it was really wonderful. Like, Hamish and I have seen In the Heights together as well. And getting to, to be at that play, experience that show with people who love it as much as I do, who, um, invest in those songs it's it's why it's part of why theatre means what it does mean to me as much as a a watcher of it as a as a would-be creator of it but yeah I had an amazing night at the theatre with one of my best friends Mm. so it was very good it was us two and Mel who's been on the show and also um my husband who's also been on the show um who was a complete Hamilton virgin he's never even listened to any of it Mm-hmm. Um, the closest he's come is he's a bit addicted to Moana soundtrack. Um, and he's very closed off for how he feels about things and he, he doesn't always reveal would you say, his emotions Would you say something. he keeps his cards all close to his chest? <sighs> Absolutely, he does. <laughs> um, and, you know, afterwards he said, yeah, I liked it. And the sign I know that it did affect him is... Um, I heard him today listening to um, "It Might Be Nice." Uh, oh yes, uh, Washington, song, Washington and, on your side, and uh, the King's songs. And I think he'll um, excellent. We're we're taking a bus down to see my parents, and I think he'll be listening to it on loop. <laughs> awesome! But from one amazing American musical and a pivotal <laughs> piece of art coming from across the pond to influence our lives and our hearts. Let's get into today's topic. The other incredibly influential American <laughs> property. Oh. The Simpsons. God, I feel like we're on one of those like Channel 5 talking head shows where it's like... A little bit. Cut, cut between the celebrities saying the Simpsons theme. Um Yes, we decided to talk about The Simpsons. It's, we, we've been doing this show for over a year and mm. we've definitely talked a lot about the shows, all the stuff that's in the middle of our Venn diagram of interests. Mm-hmm. But we've been saving this one for a special occasion and since it's our 50th yes. birthday. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, I just, I it's, it's so good. Uh, do you remember... Do you remember the first time you watched The Simpsons? No, 
I can't no. remember. The thing is, like the tele, the series started when I was of an age where, as far as I can remember back, I remember The Simpsons being a thing that was on TV, and my mm-hmm. parents liked it, so it was something that was just on whenever it was on. And this was back on Sky One back in the day, and yeah, I think it was after we got a color TV. But I think I have watched like Simpsons in black and white because the TV was that old. Mm. But like I remember like watching the earliest Simpsons episodes as they aired in the UK. Like we yeah, we had I, stuff taped off the TV and things like that to rewatch. I remember it always being on and I remember always watching it, but I do think I'm I might know what my earliest proper memory of it is. Mm-hmm. Um, which is we had a video which we'd bought. It was like an actual released bit of merchandise, um, which had on it Moaning Lisa and the Telltale Head, which mm. if those are the two episodes of The Simpsons you watch on loop, it's a freaking mm. bleak, weird, disturbing, slightly creepy show. Yes. Um, and like the Telltale Head really scared me. Yeah. Um, which is the one when Bart... Uh, cuts the head off of a Jebediah Stimuel Springfield monument and it starts talking to him mm-hmm. and like everything's really dark but they haven't quite worked out how to colour sh- the show at night time yet and yeah. the show starts with the whole town in a burning mob trying to kill Bart mm-hmm. and the music's really dramatic and yeah. um, so I was quite scared of The Simpsons for a long time <laughs> <laughs> I don't blame you um, oh. but yeah like I really wish I, I just feel like, not in recent years, but like growing up, it just, it feels like Simpsons was probably a bit of a special interest of mine looking back because so often when I didn't know what to say in conversations, I would refer back to episodes of The Simpsons Mm. and I remember that very clearly. And from a, a young age, I like to try to do American accents and I feel like The Simpsons is probably one of the first places I heard one on a regular basis. There's there's definitely sort of episodes I remember watching, like the old uh, scratchy, like off-model Simpsons, like seasons mm. one, two, three, where things looked rough. Like a very an episode I've got a very clear memory of watching is the episode with the babysitter bandit. And yes. the animation on her is just like, wild but i just there's this i remember this great part where they're trying to get a babysitter I th- it's valentine's day homer's fucked up and so they're trying to get a babysitter <laughs> at the last minute he just like he's there on the doorstep he realizes it's valentine's day and he's just there on the doorstep with chocolates and a single rose like uh he's going over in his head was saying marge just pulls open the door like holds them up like i love you marjorie <laughs> and she's just like <laughs> oh and then they go on a date and it's very cute and they're desperate to get a babysitter and they call the agency and there's just like this picture in the wall. It's like, did you see Simpson? And they look at the wall. They're just like, no, no, no red X's through the kids' faces. And they're like blacklisted. And it's just like very funny. And then Homer calls back and then gives a fake name and tries to give an excuse for him. But they end up with the babysitter bandit comes out. And it's the introduction of like the Happy Little Elves cartoon. Mm. Um, And it's just, I just have very vivid memories of watching that episode. Like it stuck in my mind. 
season one, it, like all the men- episodes I mentioned, is really frightening and weird. And I have a real strong uh, affinity for it. Mm. Um, I know it's not considered really part of the golden age, where, yeah. but everyone everyone has a different golden age, but um, they're still working out the tone and everything. Mm. Um, well, the thing but, is, like, yeah, so you carry on. Well, just like the, the colours are so... Weird. Yeah. I've heard that... The reason why they're yellow and the house is pink is they wanted people to stop when they are flicking the channels mm-hmm. and just be like, oh, that's not something that comes out of my TV much. Um, I actually used season one of The Simpsons as the color reference for my book Pantheon, mm. um, which is why like the goddess of motherhood is yellow in a green dress mm-hmm. with, blue, with blue hair. Yeah. Um, and just all those pinks and everything's just sickly but um that's just part of like how it feels so 90s and mm. uh but yeah season one is um has a special place in my heart even though it's wonky <laughs> it's yeah so much of it is off more like i think it's only in season one that smithers and i think wendell are both black as well um it might be a couple yeah, and- of, but yeah and like but there are also some people with like green skin tones and yeah, the first season's definitely got some weird shit as, going on. As the show goes on, only Bart, Lisa, and Maggie are the ones that have that weird uh, hair that's kind of their head style. Yeah. But in season one, you see a lot of background characters that look like that. Mm. And I was actually reading, you know Jasper? Yes, like, the old he's, guy. He's just a uh, weird background character that someone liked drawing, so kept bringing back. I love it. I love it. Um... I suppose, but, should we say what The Simpsons is? Um, yeah. Occurs, well, how would you describe it? Uh, I would say that The Simpsons was the first animated f- American family sitcom. But I mm. also think is what's interesting about The Simpsons is it sort of started in a real counterculture sort of place, which is why, one, the early seasons are so weird. And two, why the early seasons are so good. Yeah. And there's some, like, the quality writing staff is is a thing. But, yeah, it's pre-date. It started, I think, the proper season started in, like, 91. And it's just, and it's been on TV ever since. I think in our last episode I said something like 23 seasons. No, it's more like 30. I think it's, like, getting up near 30 seasons now. Yes, season 30 airs this year. Yeah. So there we go. And it, <laughs> but yeah, it focuses on uh, our main characters is a family called the Simpsons. They're sort of two point five nuclear family, and uh, nuclear is amusing. Uh, Homer is the dad; he works at the nuclear power plant in the town. Um, Marge is a homemaker, and then you got their three kids: uh, Bart, who is ten; Lisa, who is eight; and Maggie, who's maybe a year old ish. It's never quite. <laughs> she doesn't talk, but she's m- very mobile. Though she tends to wear a onesie with, without feet. Like a little all-in-one onesie, so she crawls hmm. around a lot. And I think it's one of those shows where it really uh, kids watch it because it's funny, but mm. in a kind of slapstick, bright way. And then teenagers watch it because it's kind of rude, and mm-hmm. or maybe or in some places it feels kind of no, it doesn't go to the lengths that something like Family Guy does, but it it has a. Um, sarcastic edge but then i think adults watch it because it whenever i watch an episode again i just get jokes that i'd never got before or 
get references and, I, and it's filled with pop culture references in a way that uh is different to how something like family guy does where you don't have to get the reference to find it really funny yeah and i think it's important to sort of state just how pivotal pivotal and influential the simpsons was i don't think it is anymore but um there's an actually an, an episode of South Park that kind of riffs on this phenomena, which I think the episode is called The Simpsons Did It. Like yeah. they broke so many firsts. They did so many things for the first time. They've obviously by sheer volume, they've had a chance to tackle so many things. But uh, while I wasn't being facetious when I said we should probably explain a little bit about what The Simpsons is, I think you'd be hard pressed to find a lot of people who haven't at least heard of The Simpsons. Like... I did a Google, a brief Google trying to find a specific video essay and I couldn't find it. But like the sheer volume of academia, of analysis, of article after article after article of people talking about The Simpsons. Their TV tropes page is something to be feared in its density. There but is I think that so much. There's, de- there's definitely a lot of people and some of my best friends um, – are like this where they're so aware of the simpsons that they've never thought to watch it Mm. um or like really give it it some focus and realize how amazingly dense and and great the jokes are yeah um and not just the jokes the characterization and how um you know there's often the episode's so I'm going to say that my kind of golden age yeah. is literally just anything uh, kind of before season nine, ten. Mm-hmm. Some people include them. Um, but uh, in in sort of the early Simpsons, there's so much heart and uh, it got this reputation for being a bad influence and sort of when it first arrived. Oh, so yeah. Extreme. But, like, it's about a church-going Christian family that loves each other. Yeah. Who, uh, you know, we last episode was our very special episodes, and Simpsons done a lot of that. It just does it in a way that's so uh, mm. funny and non-patronizing and always takes a stance that's really interesting. Yeah. Um well, we could we could talk about we're gonna obviously spend the episode talking about it, but let's get to some nitty gritty hard and fast. Let's talk favorite characters. Let's say favorite maybe core character. I don't just mean like the family, but like our close, like the frequent regulars that everyone knows, and maybe like a favorite out there character who's maybe a less frequent hmm. version, but has maybe been in more than one episode, or maybe there's a one shot character that you adore. <laughs> um. Well, I'm gonna say. It's interesting. As I've grown up, my favorites have changed. Yes. I think as a little, as a child, typically people would say that they don't like Lisa or Marge. Mm. And I hear, I've heard this from women as well. Yeah. Um, but as they, as you grow up, most people seem to realize, oh, Lisa was always right. And I identify with her most. Mm-hmm. And, Mar- and Marge, and I think I'm going to say of the Core Simpsons, Marge is my favorite. Yeah. She is the, most perfect representation of like a mum yeah and like that sounds really reductive but no it doesn't i get so much warmth from her and like you can tell that she's in the embodiment of the entire writer's rooms like mum stories and and julie kavanagh's performance 
is just so heartfelt. Yeah, which is incredible because she has such a gravelly, like, mm. annoying voice, but it just, it's so right. It works. And, like, I quote her probably more than the others just because she's this level of dork that I think I relate to so much now. Why do you try try keep trying to give me potatoes? I just <laughs> think they're neat. Watch out for the shark attack! <laughs> um, oh. I love, I love, you march back to that school and say, don't eat me. <laughs> Such a um, mum. Such a mum. So she's my, she's my favourite of the core Simpsons, I think. Yeah. But I, I do love them all. Yeah. Of the core cast for me, and this is sort of very specific to early Simpsons, is probably Bart. Mm-hmm. Because early Bart was allowed to be sort of sensitive in a way that doesn't... Well, it maybe it does still happen. But, I don't know, looking back on things now, knowing like about my autism and about being non-binary, there's, there's maybe some stuff to be, to be found in there about like this outsider loner kid, really, in a lot of ways, who really wants to be liked and is actually just as weird as Lisa in his own way. And like when you see episodes like Bart gets an F and things Mm. like that and any episode that focuses on his relationship with Lisa, though that little boy (laughs) that, uh, America's bad boy, as he describes himself in one episode. Well, it's interesting because there's a, do you know the term flanderizing? Yeah, flanderization and flanderizing, yeah. Because that comes from The Simpsons. It and does indeed. It, the idea that when uh, The Simpsons started, Flanders was just uh, a normal, maybe slightly busybody neighbor. Yeah, his defining trait was that he was a good father in contrast to The Simpsons' mm. more chaotic household and that he was you know, nice and normal. Yeah. And it, and only a few seasons later, his defining traits are that he's a Bible thumping. Mm. uh, But he's nice with a capital N, like he's terrifyingly nice. Yeah. And so people use fundraising in all kinds of sitcoms. Um, But it's taking a trait and dialing it up to max at the expense of maybe other character traits. And it happens with Bart and Lisa because I love in the early season seasons. Lisa's like, an arsehole. It's yeah, great. She's such Lisa a little join, shit. Joining in on the prank calls, laughing heartily at uh, uh, Itchy and Scratchy. scratchy. Um, mm-hmm. she, I, I love Bart and Lisa's early relationships. And I really love the episodes when they become like amateur sleuths together. Mm-hmm. And they go to the library and try and solve a case and things like that. Yeah. Um, and I love, yeah, I love early them. Yeah. Though I will say, before I say another couple of characters, like any episode, especially in the, that looked at the focus of that family and how they love each other, and that doesn't matter who. It could be Marge and Bart. It could be Lisa and Homer. Any episode with Maggie as a focus um, mm. is always actually very good. And I, I will cite, when we get to talk about favourite episode, there's one in particular I want to mention there. Uh, but at the end of the day, what made The Simpsons so appealing was about this family that they were dysfunctional, but they loved each other. And that's part of the problem, I think, as the seasons went on, 
was Homer seemed to stop trying and he just became mm. this idiot. And that's where I never liked even leaving aside all of the uh, many, 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 many issues and punching down and let's not get into why family guys are trash fire. Um, <laughs> but that family never liked each other and that dad was always just mean. Yeah. Whereas with the Simpsons, you knew that Homer loved his family, even if he's not always very good at it. And Marge loved Homer. And yes. Like, the uh, it's something that makes me sad about Homer, because in newer ones, he's defined by his stupidity and his anger. Yeah. And I never saw him as angry. I always saw him as, like, they honestly use, like, angry dad in the later episodes as, like, a shorthand for him. Like, yeah. that's his nickname. Whereas, yes, he strangles his son a lot, mm -hmm. but... It's a cartoon and they have a lot of, um, yeah, like, uh, Warner Brothers influences and that sort of stuff. Yeah. Uh, but like, I never saw him as getting angry. And when he did, it was like a joke. Yeah. The show was making a joke about him suddenly overreacting to things or he was being angry about something very strange or he was getting like, fixated on something weird. Like Homer, it was incredibly sensitive. He's someone who cries about his flower eating obsession. He's yeah, like, and like he's he was the one that suggested they go to family therapy back in season yes. one because he cares. As far as anyone knows, we're a nice, normal family. So, um, oh, but let's quickly so, let's quickly because yeah. we talk we love this one. Let's quickly any other particular favorite characters from like sort of the less prominent. I mean, this one's pretty prominent. Still. But he is my favourite Simpsons character. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> Waylon Smithers. <laughs> Gotta love that, Waylon Smithers. Um, what is essentially a joke about being closeted. Mm. It's, a, it, it's, it's a punch, you know, a repeated, yeah. is he or isn't he gay punchline. I find it so, like, heartfelt. Yeah. It's, it's interesting, like, the, to me, the joke is it's a it's a little bit like uh, Mac and Always Sunny, but yeah, I think it with Smithers. The joke is not everyone knows. It's not anything like that. It's just this man who is like Mister Burns's right hand man has this whole other life, mm. and like I love how in he he operates as Homer's superior, yeah. And yet when we see his apartment, he has this whole little separate life of wearing knitwear and mm. collecting toys. Like, so I relate to him because he's gay. I relate to him because he has a tendency to have big crushes on mm -hmm. people. I haven't, like, I, I have never related to him more in, but he, she's got a new hat. I want like, it, I want it, I want it. Me, 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 me. You know, toy collection obsession. Um, mm -hmm. You probably should ignore that. <laughs> um, <laughs> like, I really, I just think he's really, really funny. And I always enjoy seeing with him. And like him and Mr. Burns have a great... Yes. That's just a great double act. Yes. But then he does have interesting relationship with Homer. And mm. um, in fact, the episode in which he comes out is one of the few very new Simpsons episodes that I decided to watch. And oh, right. Even though we'll talk about New Simpsons later, I uh, yeah. I did like it and I'm glad they did that. Sure. Um, how about you? Man, oh, there's lots of minor characters in The Simpsons that I enjoy. Um, 
I I really like Sideshow Bob. <laughs> yes. Which may not surprise people that know me as a person. Um, I've not seen a couple of the later episodes, but that arc from Who Framed Krusty to them, him becoming this nemesis, the Cape Fear episode is one of just the most amazing 20 minutes of TV. Um, yeah. I, I But yeah, I love Sideshow Bob. Um, I love the extended Frasier riffing within it, even though I'm not that into the show Frasier. Mm. Um, but I've always been a big fan of him. Uh, Use a pen, Sideshow Bob. Bob. Snake is actually another <laughs> character I really adore. Um, hey, I know you. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. That's fine. We There's going to be a lot of we've this. We've told today. ourselves that we shouldn't get too quote happy when doing this. Bye-bye. <laughs> Bye-bye. Um, but the criminal underbelly of, because like I was about to say, I, I love fat, uh, I love Tony Fat Tony Williams. <laughs> but yeah. there is so many, so many characters in the background of the world of The Simpsons. And what's one of the great strengths of the show is so often they do, um, before flanderization kicked in all over the shop, they always felt like these real people. It's something we've talked about um, in our other podcast, one of our other podcasting projects um, about Futurama. Obviously, some of the same same creators is like how even one characters you meet once feel like people and like you're just seeing yeah. a snippet of them. Simpsons always felt very good at that too. I, re- I remember it mostly when um, Marsha Wallace died, who mm. voiced Mrs. Krabappel. Yeah, I love and Mrs. How all of these kind of, you know, people were pouring out saying that, like, what the character meant to them. And I was thinking, that was Bart's teacher, which in any other sitcom or cartoon would be the most one-note character ever. Mm -hmm. But, like, she has, she operates as Bart's teacher, and she has a relationship with him which is so complex. Yeah. She also has a complex relationship with, like, Martin, with Miss Hoover, with Skinner, Mm -hmm. with herself yeah and she goes on her own storylines and like why other than the fact that people the writer's room like really cared about every single one of these characters and wants them to feel real yeah um let's talk about yeah. some favorite episodes because i'm aware how long we've been talking already it's just really e- it, it's really easy for us to talk about the simpsons uh this is a big question, but let's maybe talk about some of our favourite episodes briefly. Mm. Briefly. We've, men- we've mentioned some already, and Cape Fear is very good. The um, gave us the gift of the rake bit, which was just literally because <laughs> the episode was too short. So they had this extending bit of Sideshow Bob stepping on rakes that starts funny, stops being funny, and oh, does it take a strong pivot right, rack, right back round to being funny again. And has the, oh, one of my favourite episode- gags in that episode. Actually, no, I can't say one of my, because there's so many gags in that episode I love, but a particular gem for me is where Sideshow Bob is strapped to the bottom of their car as they're going into witness protection. And Homer's driving and he's just like, hey, who wants to drive through that cactus patch? And you hear, yay, me, me, now. And he's just like, oh, <laughs> two against one. And they just drive through the cactus patch. And it's just, it's such a beautifully executed line. I mean, that episode also was running short still after mm. the rake bit. And there's the bit where Bart is running Back for and a way forth to between the electric the eels and the alligator or the crocodile. Um, Probably an alligator. The episode also has the the Thompsons, mm-hmm. 
when I say hello, Mr. Thompson, and press down on your foot, you smile and nod. <laughs> hello, um, Mr. Thompson. I think he's talking to you. That's very. That's a very memorable episode. It's, a, it's, it's got good. the whole die, Bart, die stuff. Very good. Um, Bart, do you want no to see my new chain? <laughs> <laughs> and Bart, do you want to see my new chainsaw and hockey mask? Just, yep. But let's stop talking uh, about Cape Fear. Let's talk about some other episodes we love. Another episode that springs to mind instantly as a favourite is A Fish Called Selma. Yes. When Selma uh, Bouvier, um, Marge's sister, dates Troy McClure, um, one of the best side characters of The Simpsons, who until that episode had exclusively appeared on on TV. Yeah, like on educational films and stuff, like the kids were watching in school. um, And the episode sets up really well his career he starred in uh, Muppets Go Medieval why is that one, <laughs> one Muppet of made most... of leather <laughs> <laughs> that's not a leather Muppet that's Troy McClure um, which is one of my most this is one of my most quoted episodes because mm. I say come piggy a lot yep. which is like a weird not Simpsons it's yeah. like a Muppet quote but not mm. um, and so Troy's whole like side story of like sleeping with fish Mm-hmm. You've got Jeff Goldblum playing his agent, um, mm-hmm. who I heard uh, recorded all of his lines in pure Goldblum, like, <laughs> ah, Troy, my my man. Um, and they had to bring him back because the episode was running too long because all his takes were too long. <laughs> <laughs> and they said, can you hurry up? That's and perfect. as someone who's directed animation, the, the thing I am always saying to actors is, okay, faster. And it's so annoying. Yeah. But like, I've all of my cartoons so far have been like, mm-hmm. have to be three minutes sharp. Um, and of course, that episode gave us Planet of the Apes, the musical, which is a gift. And I, we were talking, we were talking about Hamilton earlier, and how genius and how emotional every lyric in that. And yet, I don't think any of the lyrics in Hamilton come close to. I hate every ape I see from chimpanzee to chimpanzee. Oh, quality. Quality. That is... Like, Hamilton sounds like a Simpsons joke. Mm -hmm. It sounds like, oh, we're going to go see a hip-hop musical about the Founding Fathers. Yeah, and um, we mentioned it last night, uh, knowing that we'd be recording this episode today. There's a Valentine's Day episode... uh, and it's President's Day happening at the school and there's like this concert that they're doing and there's a song about the caretaker presidents of the USA (laughs) and it's so good. It's so like I could get in on a whole separate episode about the Simpsons relationship with music and musicals because the mm. number of musical numbers in that show is so good to the point where they had an episode, one of their clip show episodes is all about the musical numbers that happen in The Simpsons. And that episode is pretty much sung through. It's mm. amazing. Um, an episode that comes up a lot as yes. one of the best ever is one I always forget because it has, mm. it doesn't have like a big gimmick to it. It's just really good, which is um, Last Exit to Springfield. Which one Which, is that? I know the name and I can never think. That That's dental plan, Lisa needs braces. Yes. The, dental plan, the, the strike. Lisa needs yes, because that's the episode that has the quote I used for my, I riffed for the episode title, which is the creepy dentist. 
in that oh, episode. Yes. The big book the of British, British smiles. smiles. <laughs> but yeah, it's just like, because uh, there's this great moment in that episode where uh, Lisa's at the, str- at, the sh- at the picket line singing. And it's such a beautiful little song as well. And it's, mm. yeah. Oh, and then they have this great bit where like Mr. Burns is listening and it's full on like the gr- animated Grinch cartoon. It's just like, yeah. they dance without power. And it's just like, that's a very good episode. Um, oh God, I, we could do this yeah. section for ages. Um, I, I, a couple of favourite episodes I really need to talk about, especially, or I really need to mention, given what I was saying earlier, the episode where we find out how Marge and Homer got together, like their prom, mm. is... Oh, I get little chills thinking about them, them telling the story of how they fell in love. That episode is is so wonderful and it's got this great line in it at the end where Homer sighs, like Marge has come. To, I won't go into it. You should watch that episode. But it's just like he sighs and she's like, what's up? So I got a problem. Uh, when you stop this car, I'm going to hug you and kiss you and I'm never going to be able to let you go. And it's just so heartfelt and lovely and to see where Marge and Homer began is such a wonderful thing um while you're saying that I actually completely teared up because <laughs> I was thinking about the episodes they where they add a little bit of origin story to things yeah and I started just thinking, oh, God, I can't do it. It's too sad. I'm thinking about um, mm. uh, the whole Do It For Her Yes, that episode. was going to be the other episode I mentioned, which is... So it's become a bit of a meme. Yeah. But the episode is about them wondering why their baby books don't have any pictures of Maggie. Yeah. And they tell this whole story about them... Um, Homer getting to quit working at the plant because they figured they had just the right amount of money so he could go back to his job of working at the miniature golf place. Mm. And then Marge got pregnant again. And it's episodes like that where, like, I, I laugh at jokes when Homer forgets. <laughs> There's like a bit when um Oh my God, just like, saying, and Margaret? Who? <laughs> Lady, you got the wrong file. She means Maggie. Oh, Maggie. <laughs> I got no beef with Maggie. <laughs> Yeah, like his relationship with Maggie is like, you think is he's kind of forgetful, but like the moment at the, oh, just the, it's. The, ep- yeah. The thought of. Homer's, yeah, Homer is soul crushed. Uh, somebody that hates their job, Homer gets his job back uh, at the plant. And uh, when he does, Mr. Burns gives him his job back. And then there's this sign on the wall and the sign says, don't forget you're here forever. And we get this amazing shot of pictures of Maggie all over this. Because this sign is put right in front of Homer's workstation, so he can't avoid it. And the position, the pictures are placed, so it says, do it for her. And it's so perfect and wonderful yeah. and encapsulating of what The Simpsons, and I'm going to say was, at its best. And I'm going to give a quick addendum to that to another favourite episode while Hamish regains his composure <laughs> is um the episode Lisa's first word mm. which has uh, cuz Lisa's first word was Bart and it's just a very wonderful episode cuz they're talking about how Maggie hasn't talked yet and at the end of the episode to put to what we were just saying about that one he puts Maggie down to sleep and it's just like the sooner kids talk the sooner they talk back and as he puts her down it's just like i hope you never say a word 
And as he leaves the room, she pulls her pacifier out of her mouth and she says, Daddy, and she puts her pacifier back in and goes to sleep. And it's... it's I'm actually crying. <laughs> oh, I wish I'm, I'm, I'm tearing up now. Um, yeah, no, I, lo- I lost my dad a few years ago, so, like, that shit hits me uh, pretty hard. But this is why The Simpsons, when it was good, and, yeah, we'll we'll talk about our opinion on New Simpsons before the break... There is such heart and pathos to early Simpsons that it's. I don't think it's surprising that so many of us continue to have such high affection. But for to every it. character, yes, like yes, the, the core Simpsons, sure, but like they can do episodes like this about Mr. Burns, like mm-hmm. with his Teddy, and yep. they can do episodes about this with Skinner, and it's just they. Yeah, I love watching shows where the writers love their characters. Yes, um, and you can get so much emotion out of moments of sweetness yes. and emotion, moments of love. Yes, that I think some people, mm. when writing, think you can only get emotion if things are sad or things go bad for the characters. Yeah, and um, I think that's part of my problem with a lot of the new Simpsons. And I'll I'll lay yeah, it out let's there. Let's talk about it. I've not really watched. TV Simpsons with any kind of regularity <laughs> since before the movie. And the movie was what, 10, 15 years ago? I don't want to know. Well, yeah, my idea of what New Simpsons is is incredibly warped because yeah. I think it like that there is more New Simpsons than there is old Simpsons. Yes. Um that I but I feel like a lot of that heart as the, there's this very good essay and I can't remember exactly what it's called or the person who did it and I am the worst, but it talked about the difference between how, the Simpsons then and the Simpsons now and almost like it's a different show, and a lot mm. of that and he and he charts like the leaving the certain writers leaving the show and certain producers leaving and how things altered and now as the Simpsons became mainstream culture instead of counterculture and how that shifted things. You can't take the piss out of culture when you are the culture. It it, yeah. it, it doesn't work. Every time I've tried to say a moment when the Simpsons no longer became a show that I was into, mm. I find exa- examples that kind of counter that. So there's this one episode in particular, I remember watching on channel four when it aired in the UK um, and thinking like, okay, no, I can't watch Simpsons anymore. And it's the one where it's the second episode of Simpsons get a horse in and towards the end, like comic book guy in the episode says worst episode ever Mm. as a joke, but like, it's not funny when you spend 20 minutes watching it. And basically at the end of the episode, we find out that jockeys in real life are actually elves who come from a magical world. And like, sure, that would be okay maybe in a Treehouse of Horror episode. But not a main episode. But the thing is, I can't explain why I'm okay with Sherry Bobbins, but (laughs) um, for some reason, like, I just... So there's this one episode, and it's... I think it um, speaks to why mm. The Simpsons is just a different show. Yeah, there's a lot of a lot of people, you know, debate what was the episode that kind of killed The Simpsons. And this, I think this the is, I think this is the one that people get cited the most as the turning point. Which uh, might it might be different 
uh, the Skinner. Yeah, no, Principal and the Pauper. So there's an episode of Simpsons where Principal Skinner, who, as we were talking about, is Bart's principal, but he's so much more than that. He's this really fully fleshed character. He's got his Vietnam uh, history, his relationship with his mother, um, his relationship with uh, Edna. Mm -hmm. It's all very nuanced. And we find out in an episode for I'm not quite sure why... Um, he's an imposter and that when he came back from Vietnam, uh, he took on the real Principal Skinner's job and life. Yeah. Um, Voiced by Martin Sheen, I believe. Yes. And like, ooh, what a big twist. Mm. But... And it sucks. Because like everything that... It sort of invalidated so much of what we knew about Skinner before. And there had been some amazing... Yes, there'd been gags about the... Um, I say th- To say they made gags about him having PTSD and being a Vietnam vet with flashbacks, like, it always felt like, although it's a comedy, it was always handled, like, with delicacy. Like, there's a moment with him... Like, we see him having, like, flashbacks on more than one occasion... Um, I think it was the same Valentine's Day episode I mentioned earlier, where he's just like, um, oh, you're writing a Valentine for your ghost? Like, yeah, because it's the same teenage voice. He always shows up and he's holding mm-hmm. this paper card up and he gets shot like through it. And then it's just, and in the flashback, you've got, it's going to go, Bobby. Bobby, and then it cuts back to the school and he's doing that, Bobby! And everyone's just like mm-hmm. looking at the speakers in their classroom as you hear Skinner sobbing. And then it's done. And there's another episode where he's like goes to the military store, like one armed Herman. And that's a favorite episode I should have mentioned where they go to Bart goes to war because that's a mm. stupendously good episode that ends with a water balloon fight. Um, but yeah, he puts on his old helmet from when he was in a POW camp and just like, oh, still fits. Small worlds. And he's like, it really is as he's got this helmet on. And then this guy shows up, the real Seymour Skinner. We have this episode, which is tonally all over the place. And at the end of the episode, the town decides they like the original Skinner better. So they tie the new one to a train out of town. And then I think, is it Judge Williams? I'm not sure. It's the same judge we character we see a lot in The Simpsons. It's just like, I move that this be stricken from the record and we never talk about it again. And it's just like, the fuck? Okay, The Simpsons isn't the type of show which has ongoing storylines. No, but, and its continuity is not perfect, far from it. the reason why moments like uh, Do It For Her make it make me cry is because I've come to know these characters and now in the future I know how Homer's, what his motivations are. Um, and, like, I understand when a show is going on for years, like, for... <laughs> decades longer than you ever expected it to yeah you're gonna mix things up and you're gonna change characters but it's it's that and i don't actually think prince principal and the pauper is the worst example of this it think i just think it was like them endemic setting yeah it was them setting a uh trend yeah that they could now mess around the characters without any like repercussions yeah something that makes me very sad is that because The Simpsons has been going on so long, mm. um, it now does not make sense that Homer and Marge met 
in the decade they met. And so in a recent episode, they did an episode about how they met. Mm. And Homer was in a 90s grunge band. band. Yeah. And like, I wonder if people do like, but it's clearly still a successful TV show. So people are clearly watching it and like, Mm. that is their how they met story for them. And sure, maybe that's great for them, but it just feels so hard as someone who like cried at those episodes that got invested in it to deal with. Well, we've had some tears. We've had some (laughs) rage. Let's, uh, let's have a quick tea break and then uh, we'll get back into it. What do you think? Sounds great. I think I'm going to have a flaming low. Nice. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's, Let's all go, go to the, the lobby. lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Buy yourself some snacks. Happy 50th episode, Jade. Happy 50th episode, Hamish. Um, this is a kind of indulgent treat for us. We've done a few serious topics recently, so we wanted just a impassioned geek out. Yeah. Uh, but we couldn't have made it here if it wasn't for all of you wonderful listeners. Thank you so much. Yeah, your ongoing support and contributions, like... I mean, yeah, no, I don't think Hamish and I would have kept going. Like, we're always going to have stuff to talk about because we're those people. But we keep wanting to get behind a mic uh, and talk to each other. Yeah, we've we've both done uh, podcasts before this that have lasted a few episodes. Um, but I never, I, I, I hoped, but I never quite expected us to... Um, still be at the stage and still be really excited to do the next episode. Yeah. Um, so thank you very much. Yeah. Um, we're going to make this a bit quick because we know our episodes have ballooned a little. Yeah, I've just noticed how long we've been talking already and we're at the <laughs> quote halfway point. But if you do like this episode mm. um, and want to hear us talk more about animated series from Matt Groening, yes. um, we have another podcast. Good news, everyone. It's a Futurama fan cast. And I am already in my pyjamas. Uh, <laughs> um, we are a little bit uh, Laxadaisical, please. Um, with the way that we upload, but it's not the kind of show I think we're going to abandon. It's just the kind of show that we... Um, uh, we'll always prioritise Box Not Included. Yeah. So um, but, we need to get into the swing of recording those episodes. Yes, but basically we're watching Futurama from the beginning and talking um, about each episode. And unlike uh, The Simpsons, Futurama really benefits from watching in order. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you can watch along with us um, if you if there's naughty means to watch Futurama, but we both managed to get the complete box set for fairly cheap on Amazon. Yes, um, and uh, it's really fun. We're, we're I think it holds up really well, and also we are ripping apart uh, jokes which don't feel like they come from the year three thousand. New. Uh, but please, um, please do check that out. Um, and while we're giving a shout out to that, um, an inspiration for good news, everyone. And uh, given our subject topic is a podcast called Everything's Coming Up Simpsons, which I know, Hamish, you're a big fan of. So we're going to give them a little shout out. Yeah, they were one of the first podcasts I started listening to uh, in my current and continued running podcast 
obsession. Um, really funny, hosted by two cool comedian ladies who get a lot of guests on. They've got a lot of writers from the show on and other comedians, and they just tackle one episode per episode. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it's really great. Oh, but let's uh, get back in. I realised we're already at basically an hour but you know what? It's our fiftieth episode. You guys deserve <sighs> yes. deserve a, a bumper crop. But uh, we'll uh, we'll pin it, we'll polish off these beverages and uh, and get back into it. So, so, yes, we have talked a bit about our personal love of The Simpsons, but it, and also a little bit about its um, wider importance. Yeah, um, it's 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 weird now thinking like I think we we mentioned this briefly before. Like when we think about how sort of endemic Simpsons is, like it's everywhere, everyone knows it. When it started, it was so controversial. Like I I, I mentioned it being counterculture, and you talked about it being held up as a bad thing. Like I forget, I think it may have been like George W. Wait, no, George Bush, who said like. American families should be more like the Waltons and less like the Simpsons, which becomes even funnier when you remember that George Bush would later appear on the Simpsons. And maybe that, that was a sign of things to come. Um, yeah, I think, uh, I think because at the start they really focused everything on Bart in terms of the merchandise and the promotion mm. um, and really focused on his kind of like bad kid, like radical 90s skateboarding element and let us not forget the uh anthem of the 90s do the bartman oh that was on hamish's hits which was a cassette tape that <laughs> my brother made me as a birthday present oh like i can't tell you like my parents had a copy of simpsons sing the blues i can still yes. remember vast chunks of that that i could sing you i'm not going to but i could but i but I think I think people hadn't realised, and I think they do now. But The Simpsons actually like incredibly well moraled, mm. and yes, um, so it's much tackled so. it's tackled some really serious topics. Mm-hmm. Um, we actually cut this little discussion out of last episode, mm-hmm. uh, very important episodes, um, because we knew we'd be doing this one. Um, but what episodes of The Simpsons do you think? has tackled something really well. Mm-hmm. What episodes come spring to mind? Uh, well, other than the ones you've got listed in front of me. <laughs> those are the ones I listed, but you can choose those. I'm not, yeah. Man, there's there's lots of things. I think, I obviously, I get very fixated on um, emotional relationships rather than the, maybe the more, the more issue-led things, mm. but... The Simpsons have always been very good at tackling death, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, the episode where Bleeding Gums Murphy died was like a really potent episode um, where like the, they've had um, when a Simpsons girlfriend Beatrice died and that, that was a real, which is a shame when I think about things now, but just like such a sensitive portrayal of what it is to be elderly I think that's that's a wonderful episode. Um, I will shout out um, uh, Mr. Lisa Goes to Washington, which is such mm. a good episode in, in many ways, looking at sort of like politics, both the personal and sort of the wider scale. But I just feel Lisa's- like yeah, Lisa's used a lot for this because so often she's like the moral compass of that show. She, get, she asks herself 
these these questions and like we yeah. as the audience and the rest of the family get taken along with it i mean the the vegetarian episode mm-hmm. um the uh, lisa you know moaning lisa is actually a, a great episode about an eight-year-old child with depression mm-hmm. um i always think about marge's speech at the end where she tells Lisa to smile and just push all your emotions down. Mm-hmm. Sees children acting to her and saying like, "Oh, finally you cheered up and all that stuff." Yeah. And Lisa and Marge realizes her advice was bad and apologizes to Lisa and say that she can, like, she'll do the smiling for the both of them. Yeah. Um, there's another episode which I find kind of interesting because it was written at a slightly different time, which is Lisa the Iconoclast. Yes. Which is when, uh, which is basically Lisa finding out that um, uh, Springfield, Jebediah Springfield, uh, was a murderous is, pirate. He's hashtag problematic. Hans Sprungfeld. <laughs> um, Sorry. But like that, but that's an interesting episode because the, the it kind of ends on the point with it's better for people to be happy than to know and. Mm. Uh, be unhappy which i think is very different to how we feel about that subject now maybe yeah um but i still think it it mattered at the time yeah it also has a fantastic line which i always think about Mm. uh you are banned from here you and your children and your children's children for three months (laughs) um but Mm. While looking, sorry, I was just while looking at why Lisa is often used as this kind of moral um, sort of sounding board. Um, they've in recent episodes they've done a lot of like future stuff. Oh right, and uh, they showed there's an episode where they show The Simpsons from now one year and then show them in one year increments into the future. Oh right. And they show Lisa with multiple girlfriends. Hell yeah. So while she hasn't come out, because mm. she's eight, yeah. and well, you know, she should she could know. She's already had episodes with relationships. Yeah. Um, but the show has definitely said that queerness is in her future. Mm. <laughs> um, t- which I like. I take one thing that The Simpsons has sort of tackled, and I feel like while and this is something we'll probably talk about maybe in a bit, is some of where the Simpsons has messed up on representation. Um, I've always really enjoyed, well, I said in how the Simpsons has tackled faith. Um, mm. There's various characters have had crises of faith. There's a great uh, episode where Homer stops going to church and it ends, you know, with the house burning down. Um, <laughs> but it has him having conversations with God and that's a really memorable episode in a lot of ways. And you, um, Oh, it's, there's this great line because the volunteer police force, because uh, Krusty is a very prominent character in The Simpsons who's Jewish and we meet his father who's a rabbi. Apu is a prominent figure uh, who is Hindu. But it's great at the end of that episode where Reverend Lovejoy is talking about faith. It's just like, be they uh, Jewish something or miscellaneous Hindu. <laughs> there are 13 million of us. <laughs> but... That's a wonderful episode. Uh, Lisa sort of falling away from the church and finding Buddhism. The episode Bart's soul. Oh my God. Is such a potent look at faith and what it means to believe in something and personhood is, Mm. is, is stunningly good. 
And very frightening. And very frightening. Uh, one of the things, you haven't got your soul, so you can't go through a automatic door. <laughs> Thank I you, also door. Love, <laughs> I also love how Simpsons can have that as the main plot. And then the B plot is Mo opens up a family restaurant. And Uncle like, that's Mo's the same family episode. feedback. <laughs> that's the same episode. That's just and bizarre. That's I love I love finding that out when you start you go, I'm gonna watch that episode and you realise, oh, it's also another favourite episode of mine. Yeah. Um But we've been we've been talking about Simpsons tackling stuff well. Let's maybe talk about uh there may be issues with representation, um, or how they've chosen to represent things. Mm. Let's let's talk about how our fave is problematic. Dink. Yeah. Um so I'm going to just jump in and say, uh, have you watched The Problem with Apu? No, and I need to. You've mentioned it on the podcast a couple of times. That that tone was directed at myself for not having watched <laughs> it, not you for mentioning it again. Um, it's really good. Um, it's by a comedian called Harry Condabaloo. Uh, it is um, a very loving look at The Simpsons. He loves The Simpsons. He still does. And the Simpsons relationship with Apu, who uh, was not, he was meant to just be the quickie shot person. Mm-hmm. Um, the person who voices him, who I have literally just forgotten the name Isn't of. Isn't it Hank Azaria voices Apu? Yes. Yes. Uh, said, I will make him Indian. And whatever. Sure. Okay. So, <laughs> In a cartoon, in 1989, when you are, you have a cast of like five actors, yeah, um, who are all white. Um, I appreciate that the show they wanted to be diverse. However, however, when the show becomes the biggest show on television, when the show runs for 30 years... When your Indian-American one-note character actually becomes fully fleshed out in his own right with, like, backstory and a family and has his own episodes and he's still being voiced by the same white actor. Who has admitted he's basing it on a character from a film who was a white person playing an Indian person. Uh, and uh, so the, the problem with Apu is a great documentary because um, they they spend the whole documentary trying to contact Hank because Hank has alluded many times that he's not the most comfortable doing it, but then at the same time he... Keeps doing it? Keeps doing it. Um, the Simpsons did a very odd episode recently where they finally got their very first Indian actor in to play Apu's cousin. Mm. Um, and uh, the the host of a documentary uh, interviews that actor and how he feels about the episode. And in the episode, the cousin basically just says that Apu is a stereotype and is embarrassing. Mm. But the episode kind of forgives itself because it has characters like the chef Luigi and the sailor man appear and be like, we're also stereotypes. And the, the actor, the Indian actor who played the character didn't quite know this and like the tone of the episode until he watched it and felt really odd about being involved in that Simpsons patting itself on the back thing. Yeah. Um, You know, and another reason is that there wasn't any, 
Indian characters on TV other than Apu for a long time. Yeah. And Indian Americans had to hear "Thank you, come again," and mm. uh, which I've which I read, Apu has said nine times in the thirty years. All right, which sounds very small, doesn't it? Yeah, but that's enough for it to become a um, catchphrase thing shouted across playgrounds and things like that. Yeah, um, and I mean, when I think about it, like the black characters that I can think to mention, uh, was it Lou, uh, mm. one of the cops? Uh, Carl Carlson, uh, obviously one of Homer's colleagues at the plant. Uh, there is that. Oh, it's Judge Snyder. Um, mm. um, Bleeding Gums Murphy, who I believe mm, is slightly more of a tricky. Uh, Dr. Hibbert, who uh, was clearly based on Bill Cosby in the early years. And the, there's a mm. there's a thing that dated badly. Um, and I don't know how many of those characters, if any, are voiced by actors of colour. And but you've also got people like um, Akira, who you see in a few different places in the early mm. seasons. I don't know whether he he's shown up in a long time because you know show learns in some ways, and when it's a minor character, you can I don't I don't say you can get away with it. It's easier to 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 cut them out though when you are in a bad place. Representation. So I read wise. something kind of so making characters yellow mm-hmm. is often said uh, is often a way for people to say oh they're not any race but that instantly is ruined when you start introducing black characters and characters who are clearly not like yellow instantly becomes white yes because um, it's the dominant hue presented I, I know that lego says that as well because even though they do have black Lego figures there are actually white Lego figures but it's still it doesn't necessarily ring true no um but I know some people when they were growing up thought Marge and uh Patty and Selma were meant to be black um they thought they were coded that way um but I don't think they are I don't think they're supposed to be um but there's an interesting headcanon I've actually seen some fan art of that kind of stuff yeah um, but I just think it, it's a little bit like we're talking with Hamilton, the context of Tracy Ullman shorts, uh, you know, of this, the very, very first Simpsons cartoons when you have like two voice actors and you have, uh, a very small budget, like that becomes very different when you are the biggest show on television and you sort of need to be a bit more accountable for what you're perpetuating. Yeah. And um, I think that's possibly why in maybe more recent seasons we've seen this more uh, gay characters and, and queer characters. Obviously, you, you mentioned earlier about the episode with Smithers came out. We had a similar thing with um, Patty Bouvier, who is Marge's other sister, Patty and Selma being twins. And in a significantly earlier episode, there is a pride parade going through Springfield, which is cool that Springfield has a pride parade. Mm. Um, and there's a float that's in the col- in the closet. And you see like a closet and two hands outside. And it's clear from the voices, like the show made no attempt to hide that it's Smithers and Patty. And then Marge says, oh, wouldn't it be nice if those two met up and got married? <laughs> yeah. But, um, and because there's an uh, an episode later where uh, gay marriage becomes legal in Springfield and Homer becomes officiated and, mm. and does a whole thing. She's like, 
oh, okay, I'm running out of gay people to get married. Oh, where's Lenny and Carl? And Marge is like, no, 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 you let them work that out on their own time. Uh, Mm. But it clearly became aware. And I think we've talked before about like things dating and when you've had a show going on for so long and when you are so prominent in the landscape, it becomes glaringly obvious when you are lacking in certain things and when you need to step up. Yeah. Um, I I was thinking of another episode where I think it was really smart and clever at the time. And I do like the episode, but I rewatched it recently and a couple of lines really stuck out as very dated. Oh yeah. And that's um, Homer Badman, which is when he gets accused of sexually harassing a uh, babysitter because she accidentally sat on a gummy Venus de Milo and Homer pulled it off off her her butt yeah and um the episode is an interesting look at uh being on the receiving end of a hate mob yeah basically um and i do like it. it 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 gave us some really funny jokes and imagery all the stuff with the candy convention is iconic it's, and Simpsons. beautiful like- um, I love the babysitter character, mm-hmm. um, but there's one line that really sticks in my head as a bad joke, and mm-hmm. uh, that is when they're flicking through the channels uh, of different TV shows tackling um, the allegations against Homer, and you see a talk show, and a girl is crying, saying, I don't know Homer Simpson, I've, I've never met Homer System, but... And she starts crying, and the host says... Now your uh, tears could... Your tears mean more than any evidence ever could. Yeah. And that is just not the kind of joke you'd make nowadays. It's not the kind of joke the Simpsons would make nowadays. No. Um, And I think that's part of its, like, transitional counterculture feel. Like, the the mood at the time... I don't know. I don't know how to explain it. But it's just... It, to me, it's just a bad joke. Yeah. Um, In, another, in an episode that is a little... Uh, of its time, I guess. Yeah. Um, do we want to mm. talk about one other way? Yeah. Before we get onto some questions, one other way in which Simpsons has seen a resurgence. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. How much are you aware of this? Because um, I'm definitely know a couple of these. Uh, basically, Simpsons has become rife meme material. Yeah. And I'm, I consider myself a bit of a dank meme lord. I am <laughs> obsessed. I, I I follow three different Facebook Simpsons meme po- pages. Fantastic. Um, and yeah, I think it's because our generation like just speaks in Simpsons quotes. Mm-hmm. And uh, we, I don't know how else to communicate all through memes. And there's three really important ones. Important. Yeah, notable. Um, to notable. me. Um, but it's so funny. It's just taking one little moment and one little bit of animation and just exploding it. And one is The Dud, which is from a great episode of The Simpsons when Lisa, uh, or that when the family go to stay in Flanders' beach house mm-hmm. um, and Lisa makes some friends and they're playing a game, uh, a romance game, uh-huh. and Homer calls a card that looks a lot like Millhouse the Dud mm-hmm. and does this really funny facial expression. Uh, you got the dud. Yeah, there's uh, there's other ones. I can't list all these memes. I know this is a long episode. It seems really stupid. But um, a current one, which is 
mwah, chef's kiss, is uh, steamed hams. Yeah, uh, this is like, um, I don't know if any of our listeners uh, listen to Wonderful, which is one of the McElroy podcasts, but in their most recent episode that went out on the 22nd of February, uh, Griffin references the steamed hams meme specifically and how it's mm. sort of become this monster of a, of a thing. But, uh, it's from a really fun, creative episode of The Simpsons, 22 short films about Springfield. And it's a really fun, weird little thing where I just thought, oh, we've got all these characters we barely do anything with. Okay. And it's just really strange little mix of goodness. And Steamed Hams refers to uh, a segment from that episode with Principal Skinner and Superintendent Chalmers, uh, where Skinner is making dinner. And we did. We discussed Hamish and I acting out the scene, possibly from memory. <laughs> yeah. So the the meme now is steamed hams, but and it has been ripped apart and changed in multiple ways. Uh, one I've been seeing a lot today is uh, steamed hammed, but it's uh, feel good ink by Gorillaz. Oh, I should check that um, one out. I almost kind of wanted to make it our uh, exit music, but I won't. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll just post it on the group. It's so good. Um, I know we could. Uh, well, I tell you what, we'll uh, we'll put it in here, and um, I will do some editing magic. <laughs> here's a here, here's a chunk of it. Really? Well, I'm from Utica, and I've never heard anyone get a face team. You know, these hamburgers are quite similar yeah. to the ones they have at Krusty Burger. family recipe. For steam hams. Yeah, steam you call them steam hams, despite the fact, despite the fact, they are obvious to grill. You know, one thing I, I say, yeah, you steam the ham. Patented Skinner Burgers. Oh, no. And that, my friends, is what Simpsons has become. <laughs> yeah, it, it's kind of a, amazing, like pop cultural osmosis, osmosis coming full circle. And I like, I like the thought of people like seeing these memes and maybe going back to the early Simpsons where this stuff is coming from, and just seeing like so many memes kind of maybe are baseless. Whereas I don't know whether it's like steamed hams would be so funny if the original thing itself wasn't so mm. solid. Yeah. Um, on a, just a very quick thing, I want to give a shout out to a comedian called Yanni Agililamo. That's completely a horrible version of the name. I'm very sorry. Sorry, But um, there's a stand-up comedian I went to see recently who was really funny. And he his whole set was just about The Simpsons and his love of The Simpsons. And it was a lot of him just quoting The Simpsons. Mm-hmm. But everyone in the room was just laughing their heads off. Um, part of his story is that he's a voice actor and he was in line to replace, I think, Hank Azaria, maybe, oh, when right. he was thinking of leaving. Um, mm-hmm. But then he was brought back with more money because he does very good impressions, this guy. Yeah. Um, but it it ended with uh, a proud Simpsons geek moment for me oh, because yeah. at the end of his set, he got his camera out and said, okay, I just want to take a picture of the whole crowd at the stand-up. It was a very small little um, mm-hmm. uh, room. Yeah. 
And uh, he said, everyone, say monorail. And everyone went, monorail. And I went, mono dope. And everyone laughed at me, and I took all the attention. <laughs> but, um, I was surprised no one else did that. Yeah. Um, but I'm yeah, proud it, of you. Um, yeah, but that's it was so fun being in a room filled of Simpsons fans and like everyone getting all of your references and speaking in a different language. It was really fun. Oh. But we've talked about the Simpsons quite enough. Maybe we'll return to the its depths uh, later, <laughs> but let's uh, get, talk about what you guys have been talking about and sent our way. Let's move over to a new. I can't speak. This is what happens when I'm ru- I'm running on empty. I'm running on empty. Sorry. No, not on the episode. It's just like we were up very late getting back from Hamilton. Mm-hmm. Should, uh, it's no box vox pox time. Do, 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 do. Um. Okay, our first question comes from Outstanding Beyond Belief on Twitter, who asks, how severely is Pacific Rim Uprising about to queerbait us? Jade, have you seen the new content? Yes! I would like to say that I'd like to put out Outstanding Beyond Belief clearly knows exactly mine and Hamish's brand of bullshit (laughs) to have asked this question. Outstanding Beyond Belief, I know, is a very good uh, kaiju fandom. uh, Not strictly Pacific Rim uh, blog. Mm. Um, Basic. Can I just mm-hmm. yes? Go no, on. you go on. You go. No, you, you go. go. I was just going to say what the clip was, but you go. Um, okay, I fully was prepared to never get a Pacific Rim sequel. Yep. I was fully prepared when we got one to not have the characters of Newt and Herman back. I was fully prepared when they released trailers that the characters wouldn't even share scenes and that the characters would be written to be completely separate and. I'm now at a stage where I'm like, bring on the queer baiting. I do not care. This is like my one blind spot. Yeah. I would love it to not be queer baiting. I'd love something to be to to be yeah. concrete. The thing is about queer baiting is from the content that we've seen, and I'd like to put I am part of a very large I say very large, I am part of a very vocal, very squee happy bunch of people that have been so invested in the notion. What it feels like with what we've seen is carrying on from the content that we saw in the first film it references the fact that spoilers for Pacific Rim that Newton Herman drifted with the kaiju brain together and there is this moment and there is a there is this in the clip we have seen there is this hug I think for a straight person looking at that even a straight person who saw Pacific Rim the first time I would just go oh okay their friendship is back that's Mm. cool I don't necessarily feel like I'm being queer baited because I just because I want this to be a thing. And I'm not bracing myself because I think I've seen a few great memes and photo posts just like I'm not going to let myself buy into the possibility of queer baiting, uh, queerness happening in this movie because it's not going to happen because the first Pacific Rim movie was really big in China and they're not going to want to shut off that audience again. But at the same time, have you seen this clip? Have you seen what they did? Have you seen what they did? I I want this so bad. And I feel like Stephen Kane uh Stephen Kane gets it and mm. saw the first movie and is a fan of the first movie and gets why people like those characters and is trying to give us as much as he can. I followed him on Twitter since the uh he was announced as director and he is a very down to her down to earth, very hashtag woke individual, um, who has freely admitted he is not as talented 
as Guillermo del Toro, or he's very self-deprecating about the fact that he's taking on this franchise. Yeah. And I've seen a lot of negativity about the way the film looks. And it might not be the sequel that we dreamed of, but I'm enjoying its own identity a little bit. I I like how... um, different the color palettes is and things like that and you know it might not be as great as the first one i doubt it will be but i'm so excited to see some of these characters again yeah um so we're we're probably going to be queer baited but but i know i i I hesitate to use the term queer baited when we're kind of doing it to ourselves because i don't feel like the stuff that we've seen is promising or hinting at us that this is a queer relationship i think we just I think in this case, this is partially what we want to see because queer baiting implies an intentional thing on the part of the creators. Yeah. Because it's not like like Stephen K. Knight is saying, hey, you know those two scientists you were so fond of in the first movie? (gasps) Well, if you're paying attention. (laughs) No, this feels just like they're they're back. Yeah. They're behaving like they should. Yeah. Um, Um, But yes. We're excited and believe believe us when we say you'll be hearing more about Pacific Rim Uprising. Um, but uh, Ken McFarlane on Twitter asked, um, what are our opinions on Overwatch's female same face theory? Are they too similar? Is it a big deal that people should care about? Um, As the person that plays more Overwatch, do you want to take the lead on this one? Uh, I, I, I see it. Um, I think Overwatch gets a lot of... Uh, acclaim for being diverse but it's only really diverse in comparison to other games Mm -hmm. um you still like it has a lot of female characters but it still has a big problem with the male characters are all shapes and sizes and i mean that like some are gorillas and Mm -hmm. what have you and it's getting a bit better with the female characters but they still have a tendency to even the tanky the tank plate even even the heavier set characters tend to have little waists. Uh, a little waist, um, everything in the right place kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, even when they have characters like Anna, who's supposed to be an elderly woman, she has little bags under her eyes, but not much else. Yeah. And I think, um, I think it's a style that is a little uh, tired. I actually played Overwatch today after seeing this question and mm. um, really, really noticed it. Yeah, And I think... Sorry, one last thing. Mm-hmm. I I, the, I think it's come up again because they have announced a new character, Bridget, who was seen in one of their animated shorts. Yeah. And I think in those shorts... She looked different. Well, yeah, they 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 all the characters look different. They mm. are much more expressive and there's a lot of artwork of Bridget with really big muscles. Yeah, and much but, like a strong jawline. And... But the version in the game is... Uh, the same sort of body that a lot of the yeah. characters have. I mean, I will say I'm a big fan of the theory I saw, which is that Mercy fucked Tourbillon at some point. And, <laughs> you know, but any theory that leans towards uh, poly relationships, which is my understanding, just like Reinhardt and Tourbillon and Tourbillon's missus, mm. who clearly very much, they have many, many babies. So, um, but I do think it's a thing that people should care about. I I, I do. I, I'm an artist a uh, friend of mine um, who does some amazing stuff did a really good critique about uh, who's a big Overwatch player did a, a pointed breakdown about how Bridget's armor 
uh, with the body shape that they've given it, like it would break her in half with the small waist that it's just like hmm. so badly designed. And I feel like, yes, we should call call them out on it. It is, I think it is a thing that people should care about. Yeah. Do, we should, I don't think we should be afraid to demand better. Yes, it's great that another female hero has been added to the roster. However, this female figure has now been made along the same physical lines as a lot of the others and her face basically is identical to Mercy, but there's a colour swap happening. It's like, that's... Mm. And I, I couldn't tell you how game design works. I wouldn't have the first clue, but it's still... And I, I know that it must be so much work. I don't think that excuses the laziness when you can see such diversity of design looking at the male roster. Yeah, I was looking at the characters today and it's interesting how characters like Symmetra and Diva are, and uh, Mercy are all from completely different countries and have different skin tones. But their but features they still are... Got the, yeah. Whereas you look um, at the difference between Junkrat and McCree <laughs> and yeah. and then with that and that's even without getting into the fact that obviously you have Genji and um I want to say Zendaya. No, that's the actress. Good work, <laughs> Jade. Good work. Yeah. And Winston and then Roadhog, who obviously has that mask on, but is a completely different body shape. Just like be brave, Overwatch. Be brave, Blizzard. You've got the money. People aren't going to stop playing Overwatch. Mm. Um, so the last question um, isn't really a question. Uh, uh, at Dashiell Silver, uh, who's a friend of mine on Twitter, um, wanted to ask an Oscar question, but got too excited. He's the author of a book called The Big O, which is Good um, name. A, a really great guide to all of the actors involved in every nomination of every oscar ever oh and it's just stats and stats and stats and it's really great stats on stats um so he asked a question which is like 10 paragraphs long and we both agreed that if we do an oscar episode like i mentioned we might do next uh last episode Mm -hmm. um he should definitely be our guest because he is an oscar expert cool um but uh, points he just mentioned were, uh, in general, do you have any feelings about the Oscars that happened uh, last night, the night before? Some, yeah, two nights ago from when we were recording. So uh, just after, just over a week ago so at every, time of being released. Everyone's hot takes are getting growing tepid. Yep. But uh, let's add ours it, to the mix anyway. Is there anything you're happy about? Um, or- I'm super stoked. Right. But the caveat, like... The Academy is bollocks. It's like 65%. It's like the proportions of white men over a certain age is ridiculous. And when you see some of the Mm -hmm. interviews, it just makes me really angry. But I'm super glad Jordan Peele got the Oscar for Best Original Screenplay because there Mm -hmm. is no way the Academy was going to give Best Film to Get get Out. But at least there was that, which was Mm -hmm. awesome. Um, Francis, Francis McDormand's speech was amazing like getting all the lady nominees in the room to stand up regardless of the category and talking about like inclusion riders that was really a, a really cool thing to see um i was super stoked that shape of water did well though i do think the commentary like there was some very valid commentary around it but i'm stoked for gilmo this almost kind of feels mm. like a retroactive because i know you and i talked how maybe shape of water isn't the best thing but the fact that a film with a disabled woman as the lead and with 
um, characters all belonging to minority groups in their way. One best picture, a film made by an immigrant with that mm. and that story it was telling, I think is crucially important and it's awesome to see it. I think it's cool that just the nomination, like even no matter who wins, the nominations are just getting a little, little bit wider. Film, Like horror films and monster movies mm. essentially yeah. um, are starting to get recognised a bit more. And um, I think that's nice. Yeah. Although the Oscars are yeah. silly, I'm, I'm also mad that uh, Gary Oldman won Best Actor. And leave, leaving aside the part where the allegations have come forward, and there's been allegations about Gary Oldman for a while, ignoring that part, I, I've, oh, I can never, Kaleiwa, uh, the the actor from Get Out, who mm. somebody said um, just still refers to him as uh, Posh Kenneth from when he was on Skins, <laughs> um, yeah. should have won. In, in my opinion, but certain kinds of films win Oscars yeah. for its actors. Um, I want to give a brief shout out to Adam Rippon. Adam Rippon. Oh, yeah. Figure skater. His um, outfit. His outfit. Um, and not and to Fifty he, Shades was, of Grey? Question mark? Uh, said the, no. that fashion, whoever for the BBC. Um, Jesus. Just because I, I, I like when men at the Oscars try to change it up a little bit than tuxedos and his uh bondage tux is, and th- his interview about why he wore it mm. and what it meant to him was really interesting yeah. and uh um it was a, it was a good ish night in some ways for the queer community with um, oh yeah and coco did well which is fantastic yeah so, so lots of thoughts yeah we'll probably do an actual award show yeah chat one day um but Mm-hmm. Until next time, if you'd like to have your question in the next episode, please do so. Uh, you can ask us by boxnotincluded at gmail.com or via our social media. We are Box Not Included on Twitter, Tumblr, and we have a Facebook group, Box Not Included, with Jade Rose Name is Still. Um, it's private and it's full of great queer, geeky discussion. Um, but you can also contact us directly. I'm at Hamish Steele. And I'm at Jade Oxford Rose. And as always, we want to thank Graham Waller, Audio Overlord and Master of the Soundwaves for our theme music and helping produce the podcast. But until next time, I'm Jade Rose. I'm Hamish Still. And don't let anyone box you in. <laughs>